Well, good afternoon. Welcome to Soul City Church. My name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors. I am so glad to have you here. Are you glad to be here today? Yeah. All right. That, all right. I don't even have to do like a second take on that. I believe you. Uh, I love when we kick off a brand new teaching series, and I'm excited specifically to kick off this teaching series as we look at the Bible, maybe in a whole new way for you. Maybe for the first time in your life, you have a framework for engaging the Bible that leads to a deeper understanding of it. And hopefully, ultimately, our goal is a deeper relationship with God. We want you to know and have a relationship with the God who gave you this book. And so I am so excited to kick off these four small words. But here's what I want to do to kind of level the playing field for all of us so that we all know sort of where we're coming at when we come to the Bible. We all come from different places when we come to this one book. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the person next to you in a moment, and I want you to share with them, when's the first time you remember ever hearing from the Bible or about the Bible, or remember you reading it maybe for the first time, or maybe for you, is, do you remember the first Bible you ever had? And, and for some of you, it may be like, uh, today. Today is the first time I've ever really heard about it. Awesome. That's fantastic. We're so glad you're here. Uh, maybe for you, those when you were kids, Sunday school or something like that. But can you remember like the first kind of time you remember being around the Bible? How old were you? What was that like? So I want you to turn to the person next to you. Everyone needs to talk to someone. So just find someone next to you. Make sure you know their name. And you have like 48 seconds to talk. So it's nothing too big. Go ahead and turn and talk and I'll call you back. All right. Hey, again, you know, all of us, all of us come to this book from different places, different stories, and have had different experiences with it. I remember the, I don't remember maybe the first time I ever heard from the Bible, but I do remember my first Bible. And in fact, uh, I actually have my very first Bible with me. Uh, this Bible goes back 35 years in my life. And it was given to me as a gift from my Sunday school teacher. Uh, it has, you can't really see, but engraved in gold is my name at the bottom. How awesome and official and legit is that? It was given to me by my first grade Sunday school teacher, Mrs. Dopart. And this is what she wrote. It says in the very beginning, presented to, which is very official, presented to Jarrett Stevens, a very special boy. <laughs> she was right. I was very special. I'm still very special to this day. And uh, here's what's so fun. So I've been talking about this and this gift. I don't know how I still have this Bible. All these years later, I still have this Bible. And so I was writing about this and talking about the book. And my first grade Sunday school teacher, Mrs. Dopart, found me on Facebook and sent me the sweetest message in the world, thanking me for reading the Bible. So God bless Mrs. Dopart. Not only is she still around, she's kicking it on Facebook. So that's pretty awesome right there. You know, it's funny that this is such a gift that she gave me, very first Bible, but it wasn't super helpful. I'm not going to lie to you because it's crazy tiny. I don't know if you can see this. It is really, 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 really small. And it's only the New Testament, not the Old Testament. So you just kind of start, you know, at the sequel. I mean, it's just really, and then it uh, is written in King James English. So there's a lot of these and thous. So like when you're seven and just trying to learn to read in general, having to learn King James, not as easy, but the... The gift is well beyond just the packaging that it came in because what it did for me was it opened my eyes up to a bigger story, that there's a bigger story that God's been writing for thousands and thousands and thousands of years and that I can actually find and discover and know God and know myself through this book, through this story. And so what I want to do just for the next couple of weeks is we want to 
give you a way of engaging this big story in a simple way, a way of understanding the greater context of the Bible through what I believe are kind of the four main movements of the Bible so that you can know no matter where you're at in the Bible, what the bigger picture is that's going on. It's a, it's a framework. It's a way of understanding. And it's based on four movements in the Bible, four small words. And I want to just walk through them because we're going to be talk, talking about them every week for the next couple of weeks. So the four words that really tell the whole story of the Bible are really simple. They're of, between, with, and in. So let's say them out loud. First word is? Second word, third word, fourth word. Now these represent the four main movements of the Bible. And so of represents the first movement in the story of the Bible. That's Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, you are created in the image of God. You're created in the image of God. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Between starts in Genesis 3 and goes all the way to the end of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4. We're going to talk about this for the next couple of weeks. Sin comes between us and God. That happens in Genesis 3. Sin comes between us and God. And the rest of the Old Testament is what life looks like when we live at a distance from God. And what we see throughout the whole Old Testament is God keeps stepping between us and the consequences of our sin. Like he still does to this very day. Third word is with. God with us. That's the gospel accounts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. God steps into the story. So now he becomes the ultimate go-between and sends his own son, Jesus, to be with us. And so that's what you see in the gospel accounts. Last word is in. That's God. Anyone want to take a guess? God? Yeah, the answer's on the board. It's right there. God in us. Okay, God in us. That starts in Acts chapter 2, which we're going to explore in a little bit, and then goes through Revelation 22. The end of the New Testament is what life looks like when God is actually in you. And whether you realize or not, when you enter into a relationship with God, he enters in to you. God is actually in you. So this is the big story in just four small words. We're going to break it down and walk through it. But what I want to let you know is I'm going to be doing some teaching today. Like we're going to do some teaching today. So I want to make sure you have something to write on. So if you, uh, we left uh, a little notes page for you. Our team came up with this. Jeremy and folks on our team came up with this. I think it's awesome and super helpful. If you want to take notes, you can grab that, grab a pen, just so you can kind of get this because we're going to be talking about it for the next couple of weeks. We want you to be able to engage the Bible in a fresh way. So grab that. And we're going to start with this first word of Genesis 1 and 2. Easily the shortest section, shortest movement of these four main movements. Just two chapters in the Bible. But it's so significant what happens at the beginning of the story that I don't want us to miss it. By show of hands, how many of us have ever um, like walked in late to a movie? Like you missed the first 10 minutes of a movie. You ever done? We've all done that, right? So frustrating, isn't it? Especially because you're like hoping like, you know, the trailer's going to be long enough, but sure enough, this is, they're not this day. And so you miss 10 minutes of the beginning of the movie. And that can really mess you up for the rest of the movie. Because you're just going, who is she? Why is she mad at him? Is he a cop? Like you have no idea. You don't know. Because maybe in the very beginning, they set up something vital to the story and you were still getting popcorn. And so you missed it. And so you missed it, right? Or, or okay, by show of hands, how many of you have ever started a TV series after the first season. That's when you got into it. Yeah, you got a lot of Netflix homework to do, don't you, when that happens. I remember when I got into the show, I really love the show Lost that was out years ago. Loved that show. But I started in season three. It was already a hot mess by the time I started. I didn't, I'm like, wait, there's a smoke monster? I don't understand what, there's an island, is the island real? I didn't understand, I had to go back and try and catch up as quick as I could because it did not make any sense to me by starting after the beginning. Well, the same is actually true of 
the Bible. If you miss the beginning, you miss a major fundamental truth of who God is and who you are. And in fact, if you miss what we're talking about today, you can exhaust a lot of energy and spend a lot of your life and a lot of your time and money trying to make up for what God made clear in the first few pages of the Bible. So if you have a Bible, I want you to grab it and turn to Genesis chapter one. We're gonna look all the way at the beginning. If you don't have a Bible, we have you covered. There should be a gray Bible in your seat back. You wanna grab that and turn to Genesis chapter one. In the gray Bible, it's on page, anyone wanna guess? One, yep, so you can go there, Genesis one. And we want you to turn there. And here's the deal, we say this all the time, but we're so serious. We're gonna be talking about the Bible for the next couple of weeks. Teaching from the Bible, talking about the Bible. If you don't own a Bible, and you want to know who this God is, you want to explore what a relationship with him looks like, do us the favor of stealing a Bible from church today. We say it all the time. Nothing would make us happier than you stealing a Bible. So here's the deal. If you don't own a Bible, make it fun today. Slide it in your purse. See if we notice. (laughs) Walk out with it in your coat and see if anyone notices. Have fun with it. Please steal a Bible. We just asked you not to steal anything else today. So... Genesis chapter one, let let me just kind of give you some context as we come to this. Anytime anyone opens up the Bible and comes to the Bible, they tend to come with two main questions. Now, this is true of anyone who would call themselves a Christian or not. In fact, this is, these two questions that people kind of show up to this life with transcend sort of religion, race, where you come from, when you lived in the world. There's two fundamental questions that we all come to when we come to the Bible. In fact, I bet you there's not a time you've opened up the Bible that you haven't at least wondered One of these questions, if not both these questions, these are core questions to our human experience. And those questions are simply this, who is God and who am I? Core fundamental questions that have driven people for thousands and thousands of years. Who is God? Is there a God? Is there a higher power? Is there something kind of bigger than us, beyond us? That's the first formative question. Who is God? Is there a God? Can I know this God? What's this God like? And then the second question is in light of that, who am I? then who am I? Who am I in light of this? Where, where, what is kind of my place and my purpose in the world? These are two fundamental questions that anytime anyone opens up the Bible, I bet you they're wondering one of these two questions. Oh, I got this thing I'm really struggling with in my life. I want to know a little bit more about what to do, who I am. Oh, I want to kind of dive in deeper, know and have it grow my relationship with God. I want to know more about who he is. These are two fundamental questions. Who is God and, and who am I? And what I love is in the first couple pages of the Bible, God already speaks to both of those two big questions. So I want us to look at what that looks like. The Genesis 1 uh, is the creation account of where this world came from. So by way of context, there was uh, nothing, and then God created everything. And so that's sort of how it works. God creates night and day. God creates uh, sea and land. God creates birds and fish and animals. God creates, and all along the way, every step of creation, God pauses to delight in what he's done. And he says, oh, that's good, that's good. That's good. You know, know, it's not like he just like came up with it. He, all powerful, all knowing God. But in this act of creation, God goes, yes, I delight in that. That is a good thing. And then creation comes to a climax. Its finale is when God creates you and me. God creates humans. And this is the, one of the accounts of what happened when God created us and why God created us and how it speaks to these two big questions of who am I? And who is God? Let's look at Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Verses 26 and 27. This is what it says there. Then God said, now I'm going to pause here and I want you to say the word out loud back to me if you would please. Let us. You might want to circle that or write that down. This is pretty big stuff. 
Let us make mankind in whose image? Our image, in our likeness. Come, let us make mankind, human beings, in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all creation that move along the ground. That word rule there literally means to lovingly lead or take care of. So it's not to dominate and to beat down, it's to lovingly lead and take care of. So God says, over all this creation that I delight in, I'm going to place human beings to be caretakers, participants with me in caring for this creation. But God goes a step further. He says, we're going to create them in our image. We're going to talk about who God is talking to in just a moment. But it moves on to verse 27. It says this, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So the writer wants you to get that God created us and that God had intention and design when he created us in his image. We're going to talk about that in a second. Let's jump back to verse 26, where God is talking in this plural personal pronoun sense. God says, come let us make people in our image. This is incredibly important when we ask that question, who is God? Because what is revealed to us in the very first pages, very first lines of the Bible is that God is actually a God who exists in the context of relationship. And that relationship is known as the Trinity. The Trinity. Are you familiar with this word? You've heard this word, the Trinity? You seen the matrix? Okay. Her, that's her name. So Trinity. But more than that, Trinity actually means that God is three in one, that there are three distinct, unique attributes, manifestations, personhoods of God, but that they're actually all at the same time one. They are God. So it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've heard that reference to before. Maybe you've grown up knowing all this stuff, but this is pretty important for us to get in the first couple lines. Who is God? God exists in the context of the relationship of the Trinity. It's already there. And people have tried and spent, dedicated their lives to try and help us understand this very deep, very significant theological concept of the Trinity. God is Father, God is Son, God is Spirit, all unique, but all one at the same time. And so theologians have dedicated their life to pouring over text and trying to understand just every little inference of every little word that describes or talks about the Trinity in the Bible and written thousands and thousands of pages of books about the Trinity. And, and then sweet dear old Miss Dopart, she's trying to explain it to a first grader like me. How's she going to break down that God is three and one, Father, Son, and Spirit, and yet God all at the same time. So what does she do? She says, well, Jared, it's kind of like an egg. You're familiar with an egg. It's shell, and, but there's also the white, and then there's the yolk. It's all an egg, but there's three parts. Like, no, Mrs. Dobart, that doesn't do it for me. Give me something better. And so she says, well, she says, okay, it's like water. It's like water. Water is liquid. Also can be gas, form, steam. Also solid, ice. It's like, ah, oh, that doesn't cut it for me. Like all the metaphors that every Sunday school teacher has ever tried to explain doesn't fully grasp and explain the reality of the Trinity. And here's, I think, why. Because the reality of the Trinity was never meant to be explained rationally, but rather experienced relationally. Because at the core of the Trinity is relationship. There's three and we're one. We're all, it's Father, Son, Spirit, but we're one together. That level of unity in relationship. It was never meant to be fully explained rationally and broken down for you. You can try, but all your best attempts are going to fall short. Because at the end of the day, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, were meant to be experienced relationally by you. 
It's as though out of relationship, you and I are created from relationship for relationship with others. In fact, that's one of uh, theologian that's been very influential in my life since died. His name is Stanley Grenz. And I remember the first time I read that idea that we were created from community, from the relationship of the Trinity, for community, for relationship with each other, that there's no accident that these two are interconnected. God created you out of the relationship he experiences in the Trinity for relationship with you. And so you could have relationship with him and with others. You were born out of this divine dance of the Trinity. All three mutually at the same time unique, but yet one. In fact, ancient Greeks tried to the ancient Greeks tried to describe this concept. Everyone's tried to understand this idea of the Trinity. And they described it as, they used a word called perichoresis. Perichoresis is where we get our word choreography from. That's how they would describe the Trinity. When they tried to understand who is God talking to, let us make mankind in our image. They said, oh, that must be the perichoresis of the Trinity, this divine dance of the Trinity where they are working together in harmony, serving each other. The Father serves the Son. The Son serves the Spirit. The Spirit serves the Father. There is this divine dance that they call the perichoresis of the Trinity that we are actually created from and created for. Now, years ago, uh, look, I don't consider myself to be a great uh, dancer by any stretch of the imagination. I love to dance. It doesn't mean I'm good at it. And, uh, you know, for Valentine's Day years ago, um, I wanted to take care of my lady, and so I got her, uh, I got us private dance lessons. Uh, I, I bought Jeannie and I private dance lessons for Valentine's Day. And just so you know, Valentine's Day is coming up, so uh, that we're here to help you. If you forgot that, you learned something in church, and this, that we just helped you. Uh, so for Valentine's Day, I got her these private dance. The reason they were private is more to spare her any more shame of having to dance with me in public, uh, because we would do uh, a lot of weddings and, and attend a lot of weddings, and and anytime the slow dancing part would come up, I like. I have, since middle school, it hasn't gotten any better for me. Same moves. Still holding the same moves that I had in middle school. Hasn't gotten any better. And so I feel really bad because Jeannie loves to dance. And so, so I was like, I was hoping for something else. When I got this private dance instructor through, uh, through a friend, you know, these private lessons, I was like, I was hoping that we were going to more have like a more upbeat thing that we were going to work on. Like I imagined when I thought of weddings, like how cool would it be if when the right song happens. Like Jean and I have a whole like popping and lock. Like we have a break dancing thing that we just go to. And like, that's our thing that we bring to weddings. And we'll charge you a little bit more for it, but it's worth it. It's worth it. You're going to want it. We have the whole like kid and play, like locking legs. Old people know what I'm talking about. Okay. So that's what I wanted. Guess what? Not what she brought. Okay. She, what she showed up with was more of the classic dances, you know, the waltz, the cha-cha, the foxtrot, you know, all the stuff the cool kids are dancing to these days. And so that's what we were going to learn so that we could have, you know, better time dancing at weddings. And so we get started in the dancing lessons and we're down there at the church we worked at. We were down in the basement in the back corner so no one would find us. And so we're learning, you know, how to do the slow dance together. And she noticed something within the first lesson. She noticed uh, that we, we were doing something that is true of our marriage and of our life. And it was very true of our dancing as well. Uh, she stopped the cassette because that's how long ago this was. She stopped the tape and she said, uh, she said, I've noticed something. It seems like 
both of you are trying to lead at the same time. I was like, oh, yeah, that's kind of true. You know, we're both trying to be the leader of this dance. She goes, well, it doesn't work that way. She goes, in dances like these, there's one leader, and then the other person follows them. And typically with dances like these, it's the guy who leads, and the woman follows. And I felt bad in that moment that I said, amen, like that real loud. There's a lot of pent-up personal stuff with me and Jean that came out in that moment. But... But I got what she meant, and Jeannie kind of did too. And so, you know, I was like, oh, this is what I've been waiting for. And so after uh, asking Jeannie's permission if I could lead her, uh, she let me. She said it'd be a, just this once. And so she let me. And so we, uh, so we started trying to do it again, you know, with me leading and trying to lead the moves with her. But you know what happens is she can't not lead. This is just who my wife is. Within like a couple minutes, she's in my ear whispering, left to right to. And she's leading me through whispers. She's the dance whisperer trying to tell me what to do. True story, our dance instructor could not get us to work well together. And after about two or three, I think it was lessons, uh, she stopped returning our calls and quit. And so that was it. And so um, if you want to invite us to your wedding, please feel free. You're going to get a pretty awesome show. Uh, see, that's not what this is. The perichoresis of the Trinity is not what Jean and I were doing, where both of us were trying to lead at the same time. The Trinity has a very different relationship. They serve all the time. There's this mutual submissiveness, this partnering together within the Trinity that we see. And that's actually what you and I were born out of. That's what uh, Adam and Eve were brought into this world into is this divine dance, this perfect dance. And I don't know if you ever did this when you were a kid. Did you ever stand on your, one of your parents' feet as they dance with you and you, all you got to do is just stand on their feet while they dance. I do this with our daughter, Gigi. Just dance around the house and she just keeps her feet on my feet and I think that must have been what it was like for Adam and Eve to just put their feet onto the feet of their triune God and just try and keep up with the unforced rhythms of grace as God operated in this world out of the perfect relationship of the Trinity. And as Adam and Eve were invited into relationship with God and into this kind of relationship with each other, my hunch is that their moves were effortless in those days. And this is actually what you and I are invited into with God, this sort of partnership with God where we learn to keep in step with what God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are actually doing. You and I are meant to join up with the perichoresis, this dance that has gone on since before the beginning of time. So we see in the very beginning of this story something very significant about who God is. God exists in the community of the Trinity. And he invites you and I into relationship with him because he is a God of relationship. But that's not all. I want to look at verse 27 before we move on. Genesis 1, 27 uh, gives us this other really interesting clue. That, that 26 speaks to who is God, then verse 27 speaks to who am I. And this is what it says, remember? So God created mankind, God created us in his own image. In the image of God, he created us male and female, he created us. We see something very, very, very important here that I think is worth us paying attention to. And that is this, that you are actually created in the image of God of God. That's where that word comes from. You're created in the image of God, that God deliberately decided to deposit 
his DNA, his divine DNA into your life. God said, I'm going to put me into you. God says, I'm going to come out of the relationship of the Trinity. I'm going to pour that into who you are. To male and female equally, you both receive a portion, reflection of who I am. And your mere existence is meant to serve as a reminder to this world, as a glimpse of the glory of God through you. That's who you are. That's who you are. You are someone created in the image of God. You didn't just get here. You didn't just enter into this world because your parents wanted to have one more kid or because you're an oops baby and that's how you got here. You were lovingly placed, intentionally designed with meaning and purpose by the hand of the God who created and crafted the universe. You bear his image in this world. Whether you realize it or not, you were created in the image of God. And I think this is pretty important stuff for us to get. Because the more and more you get who you are of, that's when you begin to get who you actually are. I think we get it backwards all the time. We try and kind of find out, to kind of go on our journeys of self-discovery and figuring out who we are and that'll kind of inform what we believe. But the, the truth is actually when you get who you are of, when you get the one that you were created of, that's when you begin to get who you are. When you begin to get to see the characteristics, and the attributes of God that, that you were actually created from, that you were molded after, that's when you begin to get to see who you actually are in this world. See, here's what I think happens. We get it backwards so often. We look to external things to define our internal self. And so we start with the outside looking in. And so what we say is, well, I'm just, if I can just kind of get with, if I can be in a relationship, if I could just be in a relationship or in a relationship that lasts more than six months, I want to be, if I could find my someone, then I will be someone. Or we look to a career. If I could just find a career, if I could find a job that has purpose and meaning, that will then give me kind of purpose and place and meaning in this world. And so I just kind of have to slug it out until I can get established in my career. Or we listen to sort of the other voices in our life that have no problem telling you who to be. And maybe for you, it's things your parents said to you when you were a kid that you were still reacting and responding to and maybe even living into to this very day. Maybe it's things that were said to you by an ex or by a boss or, or just the general demands of this world that make you think that who you are starts with what's out there. But God says, no, 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 I, I've, already, I've already poured into you who you are. I've already told you who you are. And it's actually the other way around. When you get that, then you live out of that place. And that identity informs everything else. So I'm not who I am because I'm a dad. I'm the kind of dad I am because I belong to God. Does that make sense? I'm not who I am because I'm a pastor in a church and because, you know, I get to lead this church with genius. That does not determine who I am. How I pastor this church starts with who I am in God. And if I get that that's my core identity and that trumps what I do, who I am in him trumps what I do any day. See, that's what we're talking about here. The more and more I get to know who I'm of, the more and more I get to know who I am. That's how I begin to discover because it's revealed to me as I get to know the character and the nature, what it means to have a relationship with God. So do you, do you know who you are? Like, do you really, really actually know who you are? Who you were created by God 
to be. This last year, our son Elijah came home from school all fired up. He was so fired up. He's like, Dad, I gotta tell you something. I'm like, what, what, what? He's like, Dad, you're not gonna believe this. You're not gonna believe what I heard in school today. I'm like, what, what's going on? He's like, did you know that human beings only use about 10% of their brain? Have you ever heard, did you know this? He said, did you know that 10%, like we only use 10% of our brain. He's like, Dad, do you know what would happen if we use the other 90%? I'm like, no, please tell me. He's like, Dad, we could do anything. He's like, we could fly. He's like, we could levitate things with our mind. He's like, we could time travel. He's like, Dad, we, we wouldn't even have to go to school because we'd already know everything. I think that was the part he was most excited about. And so I'm, I'm just listening because I've heard this too before. And I'm like, what? That's fascinating. I'm like, so where did you, did you hear that from one of your, uh, did one of your teachers tell you that? He's like, Dad, no. He goes, teachers aren't going to tell you that kind of stuff. It's like out of some sense of job security. They're not going to let you in on the secret. I go, oh, okay. Well, where did you, where did you learn this? He's like, my friend Henry. It's like, he's really smart, dad. I'm like, oh, okay. Henry's probably using at least 20% of his brain. So you've heard this before, the whole 10% brain thing. Do you know, have you heard about this? That, that, you know, if we could only access the other 90% of our unused brain, the you know, possibilities are limitless. That would be amazing uh, if it were actually true. Just fundamentally, scientifically, not a true thing that we're only using 10% of our brain. Uh, what's interesting, though, the more and more I kind of study this and try to understand this more, is there actually is uh, new research out that indicates that there are a, there's a significant, actually, uh, percentage of the population that actually lives on, on less than 10% of their brain uh, every day. And neuroscientists uh, call them uh, men. So that, so that is, that's, that's news. I mean, you can count on, you can count on that. You can, because that's science, so you can count on. You can count on that. Okay, so the 10% brain thing, just so you know, urban legend, not true, just so you know. So no more wishful thinking that you can levitate out of here today. But I believe what is true. I believe, based on Henry's hypothesis, I believe what is true is that when it comes to our identity and who you really are, my hunches, what I've seen, at least of my own life, and as I've been around people and been a pastor for the last 20 years, I think actually... Most people tend to live their lives out of about 10% of their God-given identity. That one, I think, is actually true. That most folks go through most of their life with just the tip of the iceberg of understanding the depth and the fullness of who they are of, who they actually are. Are, that we fill in the rest of the space with all of those external things to try and define what God already established the second you were created. I think that most of us live most of our lives out of about 10% of who we're actually meant by God to be. See, this is why, this is why people keep finding themselves in unhealthy relationships over and over and over again. This is a contributing factor because they do not know who they actually are. And so they keep being drawn to the same types of people who end up with the same results over and over and over again. This is why some people wake up years, decades into a career that they hate. 
that has nothing to do with their God-given giftedness and their God-given passions and even their God-given callings. This is why people can spend way too much money than they actually have on things that they don't actually need because they're trying to fill in that other 90% of self that God said, I already told you. I already gave it to you. You have an identity. None of those things will ever fulfill that. But you can actually discover, you can actually know who you are in me. And it's gonna come as, I think, no great surprise, but I hope it comes as a great relief that you can actually know who you are in this world. It is not a mystery. You do not have to go to the grave wondering. You don't have to waste another year trying to figure it out with external things. You can actually know who you are because you can know the one who created you. You can know the God who created you, the one who knows you better than you know yourself. And in knowing him and in growing a relationship with him in seeking him out through the Bible and seeking him out in times of prayer. This is why I love that our small groups are kicking off all over our church right now because we're gonna sit together in these sacred little circles and see each other and have the opportunity to speak into, to call out the truth of who you really actually are. You can know who you are because you can know the one that you are of, the one who created you, the one who gave you life and purpose and meaning, and you can begin to get to know him today. So, these two critical questions that drive so many people. Who is God and who am I? Look what we've already learned in just the first two chapters of the Bible. Who is God? God exists in the context of the community known as the Trinity. God exists in the context of community found in the Trinity. That is who God is. He is a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. God creates life out of overflowing love and delights in his creation. That's something we see revealed in the very first couple pages of the Bible. God creates out of overflowing love and delights, delights in his creation. What do we know about God? God places his divinity into your identity. He chooses to place a reflection of himself, a glimpse of his glory into who you are. That is true of you, whether you see it or realize it or not. You're created in the image of God. So then if that's just a glimpse of who God is, then who are you? Who am I? Well, you come from, fundamentally, you come from and you belong to God. This is a big, big, big deal. You have a source. It's not just random. You didn't just end up here. You come from and ultimately belong to the God who created you. And what we saw already in this passage is that you're created for relationship with God and with others. Again, God creates Adam and sees that he's alone. So what does God do? I'm gonna create Eve. I'm gonna create a partner so that he can experience the relationship that we have in the Trinity. He too can have relationship because he's created out of relationship. So you need to know that you are actually created for relationship with God and with others. And in case you missed it, the first thousand times I said it, your identity is interwoven with divinity that you are created in the image of God. So here's the homework for this week. And it's really just a question. This is really easy. Anyone can do the homework this week. As you think about who is God and who am I and what does that mean? And how does that shift and how does that shape and how does that change and transform my world? Here's the big question I want you to consider this week. Will you 
choose God's vision for you or chase some other version of you? What will you do this week? As opportunities come at work and you feel like, oh man, if I could just get that, then I'll have achieved the status I want to. Or if, you know, you kind of look at your resources and go, oh, if I just had a little bit more, then I would be okay. Are you going to keep chasing those things down? Or are you going to choose God's vision for you? Choose to discover and live into who God actually already says you are, that you have an identity, that you have a purpose, that you have unique giftings and callings and passions and talents that God has actually already given you. Will you choose that vision that he has for you when he looks at you? Or kind of just keep chasing after the same old stuff, missing out on the truth of who you actually are in him, living a a 10% sort of life. What will you choose this week? I'm so glad that God invites us to know him, that he's made a way for us to know him through his son, Jesus. We're gonna talk about that over the next couple weeks, that God made a way for you to know and have a relationship with him so that you could not only know him and grow in that relationship with him, but so that you could actually know you and who you are and you can live your life out of that identity. So I want us to close by, by singing to this God, this God, the only God who could create us in his image, in his likeness, to bear his reflection in this world. We're going to respond by singing to him. And look, we just got through two chapters today. We got a lot more to get through over the next couple weeks. I promise to pick up the pace over the next couple weeks. But I think this is important for us to camp out and start here with who is God and who are you and who am I? And so what we want to do is just respond out of who we are to who God is. So I'd ask you to put your stuff down, stand up with me if you would. I want to pray a brief prayer for us and then we're going to respond to God together in worship, calling out to God, declaring the truth of who he is over the course of the whole grand story of the Bible, but who he is in the story of your life and my life. And I want to encourage you to sing with all of who you are to all of who he is today. So let's pray together right now and we're respond together in worship. God, thank you that we can know you, that you have made yourself knowable. And thank you that you've made us in your image and you invite us into this great journey, this great dance with you where we get to live in step with you, listening for your voice, following your lead, discovering more of who you actually create us to be. Thank you, God, that it's not some mystery that you keep at a distance from us, but you already planted the reality in us that we bear your reflection. God, I know there's some people here who need to hear that today. They are so discouraged on themselves. What they say when they look in the mirror, when they see themselves, God, is not very kind. It is not very loving. They've believed lies about themselves. They've believed old stories about themselves. They've lost the fact that redemption is possible for them. I pray that they would be encouraged today that they bear your reflection, that they are your son and your daughter, and they have worth in this world, not because of anything externally, but because of you, God, and because you say they do. And I pray you would encourage them today. And I pray you draw folks who've maybe drifted further and further away from you and who they actually are. I pray that you would draw them back today, that they'd be drawn back into relationship with you, that they would come to you simply and humbly and say, God, teach me who you are so that I may know who I am. That's our hope and our prayer, God. So we come to you, we call out to you, we sing to you. We choose to love you because we get how much you love us. It's in your name that we sing and pray.